Good morning, everyone. I want to apologize in advance for the occasional cough you're going to get and for the fact that I'm sucking on a lozenge and probably will change it out a couple times. Just yesterday came down with some, some junk. So we're trying to get through it, but I know with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to get through this. And uh, he's got a word to deliver um, that I think he gave me on this that I think goes beyond just what the subject is. And so my, my prayer is that, that we have open hearts, open minds to, to receive what he's got for us today. A um, couple quick things. Yeah, actually, before I even get started, I want to give a shout out to uh, Pastor Craig and, and, uh, and Pastor Jack. I know who Jack is. Thank you. Pastor Craig, Pastor Jack, uh, for, and I lost my train of thought because he asked me to say something, and that's why. I was like, you had me say something. It was 30 seconds ago, and it's already gone out of my head. Anyway, what a blessing it is for, for me as, as the lead pastor, but also just for the church to have when we are able to take a break, step back, and allow other teachers to come in and exercise their gifts and, and not only just be a, a placeholder, a filler, but actually bring a life-giving word that, that really lifts up the body. And I, it's such a blessing for us to have that many good teachers here. And I just want to thank them for, for all their work. I know Craig's in there wrangling the kids right now, the, the, the youth, not the kids. <laughs> They're not here. They can't hear me say that, so it's okay. But anyway, it's just been great. So thank you to you guys. And on that note, so Pastor Jack had asked me to just throw out a reminder. If you're on the worship team or part of the AV team or you have interest in being a part of the worship team, we have a meeting right after this. Uh, it's going to be at 1230. Just basically start right after service. And it's, it's informational, uh, but it's also just a, an important team building thing. He's got all kinds of info. See Pastor Jack after service if you have any questions what that's about or if it's an appropriate thing for you. Uh, so join us at that. So, all right, so I want to get into our series. So we are starting our new series on the book of Acts. Sometimes it's called the Acts of the Apostles or different things like that. You've heard it, but it's essentially the book of Acts. And so the first thing I want to do, I want to take today and really kind of set the stage for what the series is going to be. We're going to spend the next 12 weeks in it. And I know we could, spend, we could spend 12 months easily in the book of Acts. And, but with Christmas coming up, the, the timing is not there. But I want to make sure that as we go through, that I don't, I don't give less than the attention that it deserves to any particular topic in here. Now, we're not going to go verse by verse. But we are going to hit the major things that happen in Acts. And the book of Acts is an amazing, an amazing book. It documents the birth of the early church. Okay, it documents how that all came about. It talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. We're actually going to talk about Pentecost next week. These are incredible things, and even more importantly, it documents the spread of the gospel throughout the world. And that's why we're here. We are here because these things happened in the book of Acts, allowing those apostles supernatural energy, supernatural gifts through the Holy Spirit, supernatural power, to go out and actually spread that gospel to all the nations. That's why it's significant, and that's why we're going into this section right now. And so I hope you get a lot out of it. There's so much, again, so much meat in it that I hope to be able to convey the, um, the importance of it. Some people, when they're reading Acts, it does sort of read like a history book in some ways. Part of that is the fact that the author of Acts is Luke. Luke is, is one of my favorite authors in the Bible. 
Uh, it's all God-inspired, all God-written, but you had human beings with their own personalities and their own maybe perspectives who are writing down the Word of God. But Luke, Luke's one of my favorite because what he does is he comes right out and he says, I'm doing this to document this in the best way, most accurate, timely way possible of those things that happened. And so that really speaks to me. But some people see that and they go, oh, well, this isn't theologically meaty. Acts. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens, but the way Luke tells it is more of a, is more of a timeline. I want to argue that, that it is a little bit more meaty than just a history book, okay? Number one, the spread of the Holy Spirit throughout the world, throughout us, okay, is one of the most important and significant things that has ever happened in, in creation. But I want to ask you just a question. If I were to ask you why you thought it was important to study the book of Acts, what would you say? What would you say? How would you say, let's say, let's come to an agreement, Acts is, is as much a history book as a theology book. Why would it be important to know the history of the early church? Why would you think that? It's important to know where you came from. It's important to know your roots. We take all kinds of energy and time studying genealogy and our DNA and all these kinds of things, right? So it's important to know where we came from in terms of that. But I have an even more important reason that we should know the history, the story of the early... When you say history, it feels like there's a period at the end of that. Like, okay, that's history that's done. But I want to argue that the history of the church is still being written. It's still being written right now today. And not only is that history being written right now today, but you are a part of it. You are actually a very integral and, and indispensable part of the history of the church. That again is still being written today. And that's why it's important to know. Because we all have a place in that history. We all have a place in that. And when history is consummated, when Jesus Christ returns, and you look back at the history of the church here on earth, bless you, uh, blanket bless you to everybody who's, who's coughing and sneezing. When we look back at that history, what's your part in that history going to look like? What's it going to look like? Is it going to say, they knew Jesus, they received salvation, they lived a pretty good life, and now they're in heaven. Okay, that doesn't sound terrible, right? I certainly wouldn't say that's terrible, but there's so much more to it. There's so much more to what I want my history to look like. When you look back at my contribution to the kingdom, I want it to be so much more than just, he knew Jesus, and here we are, the end. There's so much more to it than that, and I hope that you see that there's so much more to it for you. You know, and on that note, I want to ask this question, this next question. Why are we here? Not why are we here this morning, because hopefully you're here to, to hear a word. But why are we here in general? Why are we on earth? Why are we on earth? God created us. God created us to have fellowship with him, to worship him. Why did he put us here, especially once this became a fallen world? And there's sickness, and there's crime, and there's death, and there's other people who are sometimes hard to love. 
With all those things, wouldn't a loving father just say, you know what, I want my children to be with me, so therefore, I'm going to let you skip that whole fallen world earthly experience and come straight home. How many people think, why wouldn't God say that? Okay, I think about that sometimes too. There's a reason though. And it's not because he doesn't want us to be with him. It's because he wants us all to be with him. He wants all of his children to be with him. And until that job is done, we get to stay here and be his hands and feet and spread the word of who he is and who his son Jesus is to the world. That's our job. That's why we're here, because we have a job to do. The fact that we're still here on this earth living our days, the good parts, the bad parts, the joy, the sorrow, the sickness, the health, all these things that we experience as part of this world, we are still experiencing those because we still have a job to do. That's why you're here. That's why we're all here. It's not just a matter of, well, someday when Jesus thinks the time is right, he'll come back. We've got a job to do. Even Adam had a job Everybody has a job. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis. Adam walked in the cool of the garden and communed, communed with God every day. He knew, he knew the sound of his voice just by hearing it in the distance. That's how intimate Adam was with God. But he had a job. His job was to tend the garden. We all have jobs. In fact, in Matthew... Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says this, when, we, when he's talking about what our job is, our job is this, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's our job. This is essentially the last thing that Jesus says to the disciples. This is what I want you to do. That's our job. Make disciples of all nations. Now you say, how do I go and make a disciple of all nations? I can't, I as one individual can't do that. We as a body can do that. We are the body of Christ and that's why we have the Holy Spirit in us. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But that's why we were given the Holy Spirit to accomplish those things that we could never accomplish individually in our own strength and our own wisdom and our own understanding, limited as that is, we could never accomplish these things. So the book of Acts, at its base, is an example of how otherwise ordinary men and women can accomplish the miraculous things in the kingdom of God. That's what the book of Acts is about, and I hope it's encouraging to you. Convicting, yes. Because there'll be several times where I'll look at you and I'll say, you have a job to do. And if you're not doing that job, you're missing out on why we're all here. That can kind of sound convicting maybe. But it should be encouraging because we get to do this. We have a loving God that in his infinite wisdom, he could just say, hey, all of you come with me. But he allows us that opportunity to go out. And be his ambassadors, be his representatives in the kingdom to bring other people to the knowledge of who Jesus is. What a blessing that is. 
Those of you who have had the experience of actually looking somebody in the eye, sharing Jesus with them, and then finding out whether it was that moment or later on that they came to know who Jesus Christ was and accepted them into their heart. As I taught a few weeks ago, that's the treasures in heaven that we're going to get. When we get there and we see these people that we share Jesus with, how does that make you feel? That is an amazing feeling. That's one of the best gifts that a loving God could ever give you is the opportunity to share his son Jesus with somebody and then to see them later in heaven with you. It's not a, it's not a negative. It's not a convicting thing. It's a loving God who gives us that opportunity to work with him through the Holy Spirit in the kingdom. So, Let's go into the actual book of Acts. Let's talk about this. First, before we get into it, I want to give you a little overview. Okay, as I said, this, this message is kind of setting the foundation, sort of setting the tone for the rest of this series. But I think it's important that you understand why it was written, how it was written, a little bit about the author, so that you can really kind of see the perspective that he's coming from and how you can trust it. Gabe and I were talking about this this morning. Everybody's got that friend. Everybody has that friend that when they say something to you, you're like, is that true? Okay, my kids do that with me all the time. Mom, is that true? But then we all have that one friend that if they say something, you're like, I can take that as fact. Luke to me is that guy. Luke to me, he's very pragmatic in the way he, he documents things. He was a doctor scientific in many ways, but also very much in love with Jesus. But when he documents something and says, this is how it happened, and this is the order that it happened in, I love that because I can immediately take that to the bank. Not that the other writers of the Gospels were any less so accurate, but they had much more of a personality flavor and kind of a, uh, of a theme that they were trying to get across. And so they weren't as... as uh, methodical, let's say, as Luke is. And I really love that. So Luke, the book of Acts could really be called Second Luke, if you wanted to. So we have the Gospels, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke, or Acts, is basically a continuation of that letter that Luke wrote. He addresses them both, in the very first lines, to the most excellent Theophilus, He's addressing a letter to a person explaining these things that are going on. And Acts picks up right where the book of Luke left off. So you could call it Second Luke. You could call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, which is what I would call it. But that doesn't flow as well. So here we, we call it that. It's full of transitions. It's basically a transitional book from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Covenant. From the ministry of Jesus to the ministry of the apostles. Okay, there's all these transitions. One important transition that happens then is the transition from the nation of Israel as God's witness to the world, his primary witness to the world, to the church as us. Jews and Gentiles alike being God's witness to the church. And that's an important transition because up until this time, up until the time of Jesus, the Jewish people were God's chosen witness to the world. But to use a football analogy, they were fumbling the ball 
all the time. They did a good job in some things, but they were getting it wrong an awful lot. And so Acts documents that transition to us as the church, as the body of Christ being God's witness into the world. And that's important to know. So why was Luke written again? I want to read you in Luke's own words why he wrote this. This is out of the book of Luke, not out of Acts, but it's, and I don't have it on the screen, but I'll just read it for you. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is Luke speaking. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things that have been taught. Luke's own words saying, I'm writing this as accurately as I can so that you can understand the truth of what's being taught. That's his own words. Now, a timeline of when Acts was written. Acts was written sometime around probably 62 A.D., Around 62 AD. That would have been after the time when Matthew and Mark had already written their Gospels, had already written those things down. So Luke would have already probably known about them. So in addition to reading them for background material, he was able to actually interview the authors. He was able to actually sit down and talk to them and glean more information about them. So that's what the timeline is. Now, who was Luke? You wonder who Luke was. A couple interesting things about Luke. First of all, Luke never met Jesus. Luke never met Jesus directly. He came along after. Luke was actually a doctor. Many have heard. He was called a physician. But he was born in a place called Antioch, Syria. Now, Syria, if you can picture it, kind of cradles along Israel. It shares a border with Israel. And Antioch is kind of at the northern end of that. There's a picture of what he is rumored to have looked like. Now, I don't know if somebody actually painted that, that maybe had some eyewitness accounts, but this is, uh, I think, a good uh, representation of what I have read and what I've heard that he looked like. Obviously, a little bit later in his years, but he was a physician. Not only was he a physician, uh, but he was also a painter of some renown. Not many people know that, but he was very well known as being a painter. Uh, he's probably born, probably born in Antioch, but he was of Greek descent. So he's a Greek, uh, a Greek citizen born in Antioch when his parents were there. But let me show you a picture that he painted. This is interesting. There are several that are out there that, that Luke himself actually painted. Now, he didn't sign them. And these aren't in a museum, well, they are in a museum somewhere, but they're not, you know, officially documented that Luke, without a doubt, for a fact, wrote this. I want to be clear, or painted this. Be clear on that, but this was widely accepted way back in the, in the first century that these were works that were done by Luke. This one happens to be of Jesus' mother, Mary. Interesting thing about that is that Luke had a very close relationship with Mary, Jesus' mother interviewed her, sat down with her, talked with her at length about her experiences and about who Jesus was. This is the kind of research that Luke did before he wrote his gospel and before he wrote Acts. 
So when we look at this, you wonder, you ever wonder, you look at an old painting and you're like, how did they even know what that person looked like? This was 2,000 years ago. How, how do they know, especially if they write it later or, or draw it, paint it later, whatever it is. Now, this is done, and obviously in the style of painting that was done at the time, the kind of round faces and all that. But I believe as he probably sat down with her, now either drew it from direct memory or he was maybe sitting with her, it's probably a pretty good representation, a, a capture of who Mary was. I just like that because you don't often see a doctor, somebody who's got that scientific, uh, pragmatic kind of a, of a worldview, who's also creative. You don't see that very often. So I think that's, that's interesting to know as my iPad goes to sleep here. Um, another interesting thing about him, obviously being a doctor, he had to go to med school. He had to go to med school. It was, med school was a thing back then. Okay, and I told you he lived in Antioch. Well, the nearest, not only the nearest, but the best med school in that area at the time was in a place in Turkey, a place in southern Turkey, which was very close, about 200 miles by, uh, away. Um, that place in Turkey was called Tarsus. Anybody else ever heard the name Tarsus and what that has to do? That's where Saul was born and grew up. That's where Saul was educated. In fact, many places in the word, you see his name Saul of Tarsus to differentiate him from the other Sauls. So when we see later on, and Acts will talk about it later on, where, where Luke and Paul actually get together and they go on these missionary journeys and they become very fast friends. I believe that that wasn't the first time they met. Now, the word doesn't say this, but my, my study shows me that there's a very high likelihood that they actually met in college, college buddies, in Tarsus. And then they met up later. We know Saul was a very educated man. He would have gone to, to uh, higher education, whatever that was, university, so to speak, there. Um, and that would have been where Luke was. They were both about the same age. They both did their ministry and lived their lives in about the same time. So there's a good, good chance that they would have done that. A little side note here, if, you're, if you like looking for excuses to feast, coming up on October 18th is officially Luke's feast day. So if you want to celebrate Luke on October 18th, you can have a little feast. Um, so moving on, where did he get his information? I kind of touched on this, but he got his information strictly by firsthand accounts. He talked to those people who had seen Jesus. He talked to those people who had been eyewitnesses to, uh, to the events, to the miracles, to the things that happened. Now, he, he experienced plenty himself, but he interviewed everyone that he could. And again, he had a very close relationship with Mary and got a lot of information um, from her. So that's a little bit about him. That's his background, kind of why he wrote it, where he was coming from. Let's actually get into the word. You can go ahead and drop that down. <coughs> Let's actually get into the word. I want to set the scene where we are here, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus had been spending time with his disciples, okay? We saw, and I just got done teaching through a series on Sermon on the Mount. Now, it's not exactly chronological, but he had been spending time hanging out with his disciples, teaching them, instructing them in, in how, to, how to think, 
how to read the word, but how to interpret it from a mindset and a standpoint of grace and love versus just the law. So we've been spending all this time with them teaching that. They were encouraged. They were traveling around with him. They were looking at the Old Testament prophecy and they were saying, yes, this is the Messiah. He's going to conquer the world. He is the promised Messiah that we've, that we've come to expect. And we are all in with this great prophet. And then what happens? He's crucified. He's, he's taken in and he is beaten and he is crucified. And so they have to be looking at him going, uh, what happened to our plan? What happened to our plan? We were going to follow him into battle and conquer the world, and he's been crucified. So now what? Well, now what is Jesus is resurrected. Jesus is resurrected, and he goes back and he appears again to the disciples and hangs out with them, and he teaches them some more. So that's where we are. When this starts... When the book of Acts starts, where essentially Jesus has been, he's been teaching them, he's been hanging out with them, he was crucified, and he rose again, and he's now hanging out with the disciples, and he's teaching them some more. But I think it's significant, the things that he teaches them. Prior to his crucifixion and resurrection, he's teaching them about how to love one another, how to to love in spite of yourself sometimes how to correctly interpret the word, not to disregard the word, but how to correctly interpret what it says. And he's laying this foundation for them of how to live your life in a godly way as a true follower and as a true disciple of his. And then he comes back during the resurrection and he focuses on a couple things. Now he does other things, he teaches some other things, but the primary things that he teaches on are Here's what I need you to do with this. Now that you know how you should feel, how you should act, how you should interpret the word, now you know who I want you to be, here's what I want you to do with this. And that's where we are here when we kick this off. So picture that. um, He's resurrected. He comes back. He gives them the Great Commission. Okay, and I'll read that here in just a minute. But he gives them the great commission. He says, I want you to go out to all the world and I want you to make everybody a disciple of mine. And so they're probably going, okay, all right. Our Messiah is back. He's here. He's standing among us. This is going to be great. We're going to go out together now. Maybe it wasn't before, but now we're together and we're going to go out and we're going to conquer the world. We're going to do this. And so they're asking him. Acts 6 and 7, the disciples are asking him, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? So they're going, now? Is it now? Is it now? Can we go? Is it now? They're getting excited. And what does he do? He looks at them and he says, it's not for you to know. Wah, wah, wah. (laughs) Can you imagine how you're so pumped and he's back. Jesus is back among us and he's saying, hey, we're going to go do these things. Let's go do it. When are we going to do this? Ah, it's not for you to know. How would you feel at that point? If you were one of those disciples, how would you feel about that? You'd probably be somewhat disappointed because it doesn't look like we thought it was going to look. But then, then Jesus drops this bomb on him. And this is actually our scripture, uh, kind of our overall scripture for the series. But we're going to talk about this one today. Acts 1.8. 
but you, now remember, he has just said, it's not for you to know. I'm not giving you that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So he's saying, you're not going to know when, but here's what you're going to get. You're going to receive this power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I think that's significant because they would have known. So immediately after this, by the way, Acts 1-9, which I don't have on screen here, but so this is Acts 1-8. 1-9 is after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and on a cloud received him out of their sight. So he ascended into heaven. So he says, I'm not going to tell you when this is all going to happen. It's not for you to know. But you're going to get the power of the Holy Spirit. See ya. (laughs) Maybe you didn't say that. Sounds better the way scripture reads it right here. What if you were one of the disciples? Would that have been a consolation to you? Here your Messiah is back, the one that you have decided to follow, give your entire heart and life to. He's back among you, and he says, just wait, just wait. You're going to get something even better. And then he leaves, leaving them again on their own. I like to think about what my response would be. But so let's take this scripture apart just a little bit. You will receive power. Now, they have already seen the power of the Holy Spirit. They've seen the power of Jesus. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him walk on water. He's turned water into wine. He's he's raised the dead. They've seen his power, driven out demons. They know what that power looks like. And up until then, Jesus had hinted of the Holy Spirit and what it was going to bring to them. But they we're probably thinking this was more focused around Jesus. Sure, some of them did these things too, but a lot of them had to do with, they, they were hanging out with Jesus. And so our powers flowing from Jesus might have been what they were thinking. But he's telling them, no, there's more than that. They've seen all these things. They've seen the heroic feats in the Old Testament. So they knew the kind of power that they could have. And so they were probably sitting there going, well, what's this going to look like to us? Next week, we find out what that looks like to us when we, have, uh, when we talk about Pentecost. Next one, he says, when the Spirit has come upon you. When the Spirit has come upon you is when you're going to receive this power. I think we need to pause here for just a second. Now, Pastor Gabe talked about the bedrock class that I'm going to do here uh, in a couple weeks. One of the things that we're going to talk about is the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about... Uh, how to read your Bible, how to understand your Bible, those sorts of things. But we're also going to talk about some of those things that are widely understood and can kind of trip us up on our, on our journey here as we grow into mature Christians. And one of those things that trips a lot of people up is the Holy Spirit. So there's not enough time to really talk about that today and really get into all the different nuances of the Holy Spirit. But I want to do, I want to just point this out. There are two different experiences with the Holy Spirit that we can have. One experience is when you receive Christ. When you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit as a deposit in your heart. In fact, Scripture says this. This is 2 Corinthians 1.22. That he set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. 
guaranteeing what is to come. So every believer in Jesus Christ has that deposit of the Holy Spirit. It helps us to pray. It helps us to understand the new family that we're adopted into. It helps us to commune with God. That Holy Spirit we all have, and we all have that all of the time. Okay, if you're a believer, you have that. But then there's a second experience with the Holy Spirit, and that's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We see that over and over, and over again in the Bible. Uh, Gideon, Deborah, Samson, uh, Moses, over and over again, the Holy Spirit comes upon average ordinary people in most cases and allows them to accomplish the extraordinary, allows them to accomplish the miraculous. And those things that it allows you to accomplish are things that God is calling you to do. It's things God called them to do that they had doubts. How am I going to do this? And the Holy Spirit came upon them and allowed them that supernatural power, energy, wisdom, whatever it is that the, super, that the Spirit was imparting. But 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 7. Now, so a lot of people, I want to mention this. A lot of people think that those gifts of the Holy Spirit, that that actual coming upon you, acts of the Holy Spirit, went away with the first apostles. That it was really only there to help get the church jump-started. A lot of people believe that. And you can study the Bible, and you can kind of come to those conclusions. But I want to read you a little section of Scripture. <coughs> Excuse me, from 1 Corinthians 12. 1 to 7, this is, uh, this is Paul, and Paul's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. I just want you to read this as I read it, uh, or listen as I read it, and think about this through a mindset of, is he talking about something that was just for then and there, or is this also here and now? Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed, you know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And he goes on and on and talks about the other gifts. To me, that doesn't sound like something that was for then and there only. And on a practical note, I've seen too many times during our deliverance ministry, I have seen demons driven out of people. Okay, I've seen people healed. When I was in South Africa, or, or in Mozambique, that is, our group laid hands on a man who hadn't been out of bed in months. He was almost to die, and he stood up and walked. I've seen these things with my own eyes, and that's not my power by any stretch that's doing those things. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't seek out those situations, by the way. That was something that God called me to do, and I was simply obedient. When God calls you to do something and you're obedient in that, despite the fact that you go, I have no idea how am I going to do this. The Holy Spirit is what will help you through. The Holy Spirit will do that. So when you get that opportunity and you're walking down the street or you're standing at the line at the checkout counter at the grocery store and the Holy Spirit just nudges you and says, I want you to share Jesus with this person. 
Your first response might be, I don't know how to do that. There's a line behind, there's 10 people behind me and I'm gonna share Jesus with them. There should be a special aisle. This is the express lane, this is the sharing Jesus lane. We've all been behind that person, right? But that's what the enemy wants to say to you is look at all these reasons why you shouldn't share Jesus with this person. There's always a million reasons why you shouldn't do that. They're going to think I'm dumb. I'm late. They're probably late. They look busy. They look irritated already. I'm going to go up and share Jesus with them. All we need to do, church, is to be obedient. When God points out those things to you, we don't need to ask why or how. We just simply need to be obedient and do. And when we do those things, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you everything you need. He'll give you what to say and how to say it and the energy and the strength and the outgoing personality, whatever it is you need at that moment to accomplish what he has called you to do. That's what the Holy Spirit will do for you. And that's where we are. Follow the Lord's leading. So are you like the disciples and you're like, well, when, when is Jesus going to return? A lot of people ask me that all the time. There are those people that like, hey, they've done the numerology and they know that, you know, on Tuesday the 4th, that's when he's going to return. There are people who read the news every single day. Read, who reads the news anymore? Okay, they, they watch TV or they see it on their iPad or whatever. And they'll come and they'll say, look, all these things are lining up. The end days are near. Jesus is going to return any day now. Are you like that? And you're saying, okay, I really want to know. I'm really into knowing when this is going to happen. It's not going to happen, church, until we have shared Jesus with everyone. The word says that. There's still work to be done. Jesus isn't coming back until we have shared Jesus with everyone in the whole ends of the earth. Now, many of those people are going to reject Jesus. Many of those people will reject him. But we have a loving father who says it ain't over until it's over. And it's not over until everyone has had the opportunity to know me and to know my son. Church, that's why we're here. If you want to know when the end times are going to come, let's do our job. Let's do what we're called to do. Let's share Jesus with those. No, we don't have to go to the ends of the earth. Not every one of us is called to go to a foreign country or ends of the earth. We're called to share Jesus, though. We all are. Who have you shared Jesus with lately? I'm not talking about bringing a friend, bringing a neighbor to church. That's awesome. That's a great start. And that's something that we can all do. Invite somebody to church to hear a word. But many of the times when we do that, we're bringing somebody who's already a believer. Come check out my church because we like the coffee or we like the people or the worship is, is amazing. Excuse me. We invite people for that reason. When's the last time? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I want you to ask yourself, when's the last time I shared Jesus with somebody who didn't know him? I know for me, it's been too long. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to stay in these little enclaves of believers and share Jesus with each other. That's great to a point, but that's not our job. Our job is to go out, spread the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Bringing someone to hear the word preached as a start, it's not a substitute. It's not a substitute. Listen to this. In, in uh, Romans 10, 13 and 14, I think it is, Paul says, actually, we've got it on the screen. 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Easy. You call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved, right? How then can they believe, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? The word preaching is not me, a preacher, standing up here. It's simply speaking to sharing, teaching. That's you. You're all priests in the kingdom, and you all have a responsibility to share Jesus. How can they believe in someone that they haven't heard in? Now, the retort that I get a lot of times to people who don't want to actually share Jesus with somebody, they say, all of creation testifies to a Messiah. All of creation. All I have to do is go out and look at the mountains, and you'll know there's a Jesus. Wrong. While that may be true for a believer, you can see Jesus in everything. A non-believer just sees tectonic plates that shoved up, and those are mountains. We need to share Jesus with people. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and start coming up. The fact that we're still here is evidence that there's still work to be done. There's still work to be done. In Matthew 24, 14, it actually says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. You want an end to the pain and the suffering and the strife and the things that go on in this world? Let's do our job, church. Let's share Jesus with somebody who doesn't know him. I want to challenge you to do that. It's important to understand where we came from, the history of the church, because that history is still being written, and that history will not be consummated. That exclamation point won't be put on the history of our experience here on this planet until Jesus returns. And that won't happen until everyone has had a chance to at least hear of who he is. That is both our, our, our joy and our responsibility. And so I want to challenge you, if you have accepted the gift of salvation through Jesus, you also have to accept that responsibility. The saying says there's nothing that comes for free. Jesus offers grace for free. He offers salvation for free. But that is only a small part of what he offers us. He also offers us the joy of being able to share the knowledge of who he is and his grace and a loving father. To share that with others, that should be our joy. That's not a burden, but it is a responsibility. And so as we go into communion, I want to ask you to do something a little bit different maybe than what you've done before. As we go into communion here, I want you to just sit in your chairs like we do and we have a little bit of response, but I want you to ask this question of the Lord. Number one, give him the permission to show you people that you need to share Jesus with. Show me those people, highlight them, beam of light, flaming, whatever it is, point them out to me so that my feeble mind cannot miss it. I need to be slapped in the face or I miss it every time. It's usually after the fact. I go, oh, that guy yesterday, I should have. I was perfect. I missed it. Let's have our eyes open to those things and let's ask the Lord to open our eyes to those things. But then the second half, as we take communion and we thank him 
that he sacrificed his body, that he sacrificed his very body to give us that salvation, let's also agree to the commitment. Let's agree to our part. Lord, you gave me this. It is my responsibility to make sure others know of you. And so I want you to sit there and just just pray to God. Remember, prayer is simply talking to God. So however you do it in your words, however you want to do it. We have a prayer team in the back. If you need somebody to help you pray through this, step back there. They would love to pray through this with you or for healing or for anything that you need. They're always there for you. But let's make a commitment to God that if I have accepted that gift of salvation and eternal life in Jesus Christ, that I also make the commitment that I will do my part while I'm here on this earth. As long as there is breath in my lungs, I will share the knowledge of who you are. That's our job, church. Do you accept that job? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you... God, in your grace and mercy, you will, not, you will not consummate history until everyone has had the chance to accept the gift of grace and mercy that was brought to us by your son, Jesus Christ. That free gift of grace and mercy, Lord, you want everybody to have that. And even though you know full well that many will reject that gift and many will not receive that gift, Lord, you will not stop until everyone has had that opportunity to make that decision. And so, Lord, we just pray that you use us. Use us, Lord, in in greater ways than ever before. Lord, show us in ways that we can't possibly miss who you want us to share the word with. And then, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, give us that supernatural courage and wisdom and clarity and knowledge of what to say, when to say it, to help share the knowledge of who Jesus is. Father, we want to be your ambassadors in the kingdom. We sit here saying, Lord, use us. Use us for your purposes because we want the blessing of standing in heaven and seeing the treasure of those people that we have shared Jesus with standing there with us. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So just stay in your seats through this first song or through parts of it. When you're ready, you can begin moving around, taking communion at the crosses. We have juice and bread and gluten-free crackers. You can serve yourself there. Or up front here, we've got wine and we've got bread and crackers. And Gabe and I would love to serve you up there. You just dip the bread in the wine and take communion that way. But again, let's just don't do it because this is now when we do communion. Let's do it with an understanding of what it means to us. Amen? Thanks. Unreserved, unrestrained, your love is wild, your love is wild for me, it isn't shy, it's unashamed, your love is proud to be
such a good father, such an ever-present father, God. We thank you that you, you don't hide from us. When we call you, you come running. God, we just love your presence and love the love that you have for us, God. And all we want to do is reciprocate that. We want you to hear our hearts from you, Father. We know, we know that you go out and you fight every single battle for us before we even ask God. Make us aware. Make us aware of your surrounding our Make us aware that before we even sense to pray, you've already picked up the sword and you're already fighting for us, God. You've already got the miracle going.
every single bit of power in the entire universe backing you. So nothing can stand against you. If nothing can stand against the name and we have been given the power to speak the name of Jesus, then we have the power to command those things out of our life. So we're gonna sing this next part and it says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess the name of Jesus. So in one voice, in one chorus, I'm gonna ask that you let go of any insecurities you might have about corporate worship. Because we're not corporate worship, we're a family. We're a family and worship is an act that we're supposed to do every single day. So I ask that you stand with us and we are gonna proclaim the name of Jesus as loud as we can so that the heavens literally fall in this place because that is who our God is. So sing with me. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess the name of Jesus. Oh, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Sing it out. The your life right now. Please don't leave. Please, if you need healing prayer, please ask for it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Um, we can, can we do that chorus one more time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, we haven't. Yeah, just stay in. If you, if you need healing, we have another song we're going to do. So God, I just, I just pray that you both physically and spiritually touch these people who might need healing in their life right now, God. I do, I feel your presence here. You want to be here and you want miracles to happen, Father. 
So God asks us to be bold too. So if you are someone who needs some type of healing in your life, be bold. Stand up. We have the prayer team in the back. But God can heal you right where you are. So just let go and let God right now. Come to Jesus.
guys are welcome to leave if you want, but uh, we invite you to stay if you want to stay too. Through every battle, every heartbreak, every circumstance, I believe you are my fortress You are my portion You are my hiding place I believe you are the way The truth The life I believe you are the way The truth Through every battle, 
The truth, the lie.